Hi, welcome to the Ardencraft Technology mini podcast series. I am your host, Abid Ali. I'm an engineer and technology expert. And today it's a very special episode. We are joined by our very own CTO, MH. Uh, he is our in-house designer and manufacturing expert. He's been in the field for over 20 years, but I'll give it over to you, MH, for an introduction. Thank you, Abe. Yes, I worked almost 27 years in the manufacturing field. Um, the first job I started in 1997, mm. uh, that's when I was in Singapore, mm. worked as a mechanical design engineer for a Japanese company. We design audio products, mainly cassette players, Walkman, that's what they called. Mm -hmm. uh, so I witnessed a lot of manufacturing activities in that area. Uh, it used to be mass production in Southeast, Southeast Asia countries like Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia. Uh, also some of those down by Japan and Taiwan, but very little was done by Chinese uh, mainland oh, yeah? factories. Uh, part of the reasons was uh, the, there were lack of uh, sophisticated machinery mm -hmm. uh, because of special reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't get a high precision in CNC's, uh, the best equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I was so surprised when visiting some of the factories in uh, Indonesia, in mm -hmm. Malaysia and uh, Singapore, those mobile manufacturers have uh, five axis CNC machines, mm -hmm. very advanced, have never seen that before in China. Uh, but after a couple of years, uh, I started seeing the trend changed mm -hmm. uh, when China was getting more open, uh, getting more investment from outside. Uh, some of the barriers must have been removed. So we started seeing high precision manufacturing started getting more and more popular in China. You can see them everywhere. Uh, that's also part of the reasons most of the manufacturing started coming to China. They actually moved out, out of Southeast Asia countries. Uh, so sorry, what, what reasons? Yeah, because the, the labor cost mm -hmm. is quite cheaper. Mm -hmm. Also, because the Chinese workers are so disciplined, very well trained, uh, the culture between China and uh, most countries in Southeast Asia is quite different. Mm -hmm. The workers, they're migrant workers from uh, inland China. Mm -hmm. uh, they get not much paid, but already uh, consider it's very good salary, like mm -hmm. 300, 500 RMB per month. Mm -hmm. uh, back in 1990s, that's quite good pay. Mm -hmm. uh, the, on the contrary, the salary in Southeast Asia countries is a little bit more higher than that, but the work workforce, the culture, everything, uh, are quite different. Oh, that's interesting. So, so what year did you really see the big shift? I think the Chinese workers were most productive mm -hmm. in the old days. 
That's why most of the factories, they like to uh, set up their factories in China. It's because of the cost and the efficiency, productivity. Uh, that's one of the reasons, in my opinion. And so you moved back to China in what year? Uh, that's 2001. Cool. Yeah. Uh, when the financial crisis hit Southeast Asia countries, mm -hmm. uh, many manuf manufacturing uh, jobs has lost. Also, R&D is closed down because they're getting too expensive compared with in China, what's in China. The engineers especially, you can get uh, engineers with similar quality, uh, but um, only perhaps one third one or even one fifth of the salary oh, wow. paid to the engineers. Yeah, that's one of the major changes. And so it was almost like a big tech drain from other Southeast Asia countries to China back in 2000, which yeah, kind of right. prompted the whole kickstart of China becoming the tech power it is today. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. And so what did you do uh, when you came to China? Yeah, I so started as a mechanical design engineer mm -hmm. at Philips, uh, also doing the audio video products, mm -hmm. like the audio systems. Uh, then I worked there for a couple of years, but because this is my home country, I have more freedom selecting, you know, different industries to work with. Uh, not like when I was working in Singapore as a foreigner, you basically just uh, have to work for the same company. Uh, for the visa and the work permit issues, you have to apply if you change job. But in China, I started seeing the vast opportunities um, because so many companies, foreign companies, came into China to invest into the manufacturing sector. Uh, also, because my, you know, one of the advantages I used to work for foreign companies and I speak English, a lot easier for me to get another job. So I started working for Philips and uh, Thomson after that. Uh, that's another French, it's a French company, another audio video product manufacturer. Uh, then in 2007, I started working for a company called Fitech. Oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned make... that Fitech was at one point Bose's biggest competitor. Yeah, in noise that's true, because uh, Fitech got really a lot of talented people. They we design and manufacture noise cancellation headphones. Um, unfortunately, because of a patent problem uh, with, with Bose, our company has been dragged into a law lawsuit by Bose. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry. and so within all of this as well. Uh, we didn't mention that you actually worked on the original Walkman, yeah. the, uh, uh, the original CD and cassette players yeah, that everyone right. remembers. And how many years did you spend working on it? Yeah, altogether, I think that would be like uh, five years. Oh, wow. Maybe seven, yeah, five to six years. And what years. was your role? Well, I first started as a mechanical engineer in you know, in Singapore. I see. So you were doing the mechanical design of the Walkman? Yeah. Then my job at Thompson was a technical manager. Mm -hmm. So we, because we have a lot of uh, ODM projects, which, which means the in-house engineers were designed for the brand with a certain rules, but because the brand is popular, you want more products, then you have less resources available in-house then you outsource that to other companies specialized designing and manufacturing uh, this type of products. 
So uh, my responsibility was to ensure uh, these ODM manufacturing partners, they will design the product, follow our own internal quality requirements, uh, as well as to meet the, you know, some of the design challenges. Yeah, oh, fair enough. So you've got a lot of mechanical design background, you've got appreciation of technology, supply chain, and also QC. And that brings us kind of, you know, to 2007. How about in 2010 onwards? Uh, Actually, one of the most critical thing I discovered uh, when I was uh, involved in so many projects is communication. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, I was acting as a project manager oh, yeah? uh, and product manager uh, in many of the companies I worked uh, because I saw there's a big gap between the engineer, mm -hmm. uh, especially the engineers who doesn't speak English and the customer side when they have uh, incomplete uh, product requirements or some sometimes it's vague. We all know that when the project first starts, uh, you don't have 100% uh, features, requirements clearly defined. This is common. Um, but along the way, when you design the develop the product, uh, these things need to be clarified. Uh, and very often you see the big gap between the product marketing and engineering, let alone the manufacturing. That's another different story. Yeah, I guess the example I always go to is if you think about an electronic dice, imagine a customer comes to you and say, hey, I want you to build an electronic dice. Mm -hmm. And now you've got this image of a dice in your head, right? But how many sides does the dice have? How many LEDs does the dice have? How long of a battery? does it have to last you know there's a lot of uncertainties that if you don't clarify on the requirements you know that an engineering team can create a very different looking dice to how a sales or marketing or a customer actually originally um thought about how it should be done and so i guess what we're saying here is you know with project management and product management you're bridging this gap yeah making sure both sides understand the design requirements but also the engineering challenges within it you know if you imagine a six-sided dice is probably easier to make than a 20-sided dice true uh, this is a particularly the case when you face different level of uh, uh, manufacturing expertise uh, there are basically several scenarios but two of those are very interesting uh, if it is a very disciplined, well-managed company, uh, let's say they are your business partner, uh, your manufacturing partner, they will always ask you the questions, mm -hmm. okay? If they are not clear about anything, they will ask, they will try to clarify all the specifications, requirements. Uh, also, there's another one, which is uh, equally interesting, is uh, some of the factories or manufacturing partners, they try to make assumptions. Uh, if you don't give them a, a complete, specification particularly if you are not a big company you are trading or small size medium sized company you don't have your own in-house uh, product managers to create uh, the feature specs or the technical specifications they they just think okay you are you're trying to buy a product which uh, already has uh, 
a reference sample. Uh, so they just try to copy the samples for you, uh, making assumptions you want this and that. Yeah, and there's a lot of assumptions you won't realize. For example, if it's a battery project, not all cells are equal. You know, some cell life cycles before they hit 80% capacity might be 400 cycles at 0.2C, whereas other cells might be 500 cycles at 0.5C. And if you don't drill down into the data sheets and the certification, it's easy to miss this. And there's going to be a cost difference. You know, there might be a $1 or $2 cost difference between these parts. But if you don't understand the requirements and it in depth of what you want, you can accidentally create a inferior product. Yes, that's why one of my principles is when dealing with the manufacturing part, uh, business partners, never make assumption. You never make assumption that they know this, they know that. You always do a check, give them a very clear document to illustrate what you want. Don't give them the freedom making assumptions and that turned out to be something you don't like or you don't want. Yeah, and I think a good trait of whether a project or product is going well is documentation. How much documentation is around there? And are you actually constantly updating and filling it out? Because at the end of the day, you do need to almost make this product Bible, you know, everything and then everything about a product, because if you miss things out, it might be a small leeway of, of the design to go wrong. Well, it depends on what kind of a business you are dealing with. Yeah, I guess that's true. If, uh, for, uh, for example, uh, for big companies like Philips or Thomson, they are very well organized. They mm -hmm. have a big systems. Uh, so we used to get uh, the impression that you always have to create all kinds of drawings, all kinds of technical mm. documents for different departments. Say, for example, you need to have the uh, CAD files for the mold manufacturer. Also, you need to create another set of uh, QC drawings for inspection purposes. Uh, then you need to have all the electronics, beautiful material. Uh, you need to be very stringent uh, on checking if they uh, manufacture things according to your beautiful material. Uh, but th this is because they have a big systems and have a lot of manpower doing all this work. However, uh, in today's business environment, many small customers, they, they do not have in-house engineering. They don't want to spend much resources on that. They just want to get a nice and uh, good quality product. Uh, so inevitably you have to skip some of the steps, uh, or we say cutting corners. Yeah. But you got to know what corners you can cut and what you cannot. So that is the tricky part. Uh, the understanding of the requirements become imperative. Okay? You need a product management team to constantly uh, communicate with the customer uh, to get the, their requirements. And then after you completely understood all the requirements, you can start chopping off some of the unnecessary parts. You can convey the messages to the factory manufacturing partner uh, to say, okay, this part is critical. This part is that's critical. You can have some freedom. Uh, we probably can accept, but we can try it first and see what happens. Um, this is actually better, more efficient and cost effective compared with having a big system. And so within this as well, there's not just product and project requirements where you can cut corners. There's also on the manufacturing side and the QC side, you know, you might go to, let's say you're making a power bank and you might go to five different power bank factories, but you don't actually know unless you have 
you know, in-depth understanding of the QC and how a factory is run, you know, what type of factory is suitable. And the reason I say this is you could go to a big, like Foxconn, Apple, Samsung type factory making a million units, you know, a month type of factory, but their MOQs will be high. Their quality will be good, but then their price will also be high. Yeah. And then the other side of the spectrum is you can go to a much more, you know, cowboy X yeah. factory <laughs> where, you know, they don't have automation. They just have manpower and some machinery, but it's very old school, even hand soldering. And you're going to have a lot more issues, but it will be cheap. And yeah. so we're not saying you have to go to the Foxconn every time because, you know, at the beginning of some projects, depending on your size, it's just unaffordable. You know, you need somewhere in between and it's all about how do you find a good partner or good enough where the price can be good and you could implement the QC pieces that they're missing. Yeah, this is especially true for startup companies mm. uh, when you don't really have a complete specification, but you really want to get something to evaluate uh, or for marketing purposes then you have to find the proper manufacturing partner to begin with. Uh, today's business in China is uh, everybody is looking for big money. Yeah, uh, yeah. The big money does not necessarily mean a high net, net profit or margin. It's all about uh, volume. So people will not trust a startup company will bring a huge volume to support their business. Uh, so it is very difficult for startup companies to find uh, uh, suitable manufacturing resources. That's a big challenge. Yeah, because within all of this, you know, you have to build that trust and relationship within all of this and make sure they treat you properly because you could pick a good factory with all the correct processes, but if you're too small, then they just won't implement their full processes because it saves them money. Yeah, because inside the factory, they also evaluate the customer value like uh, who are the biggest customers uh, of our company. We always serve the best, uh, you know, provide the best services to the top five com uh, customers. And those little, those small customers uh, will not get the priority. That's how their project will get delayed, uh, bad quality. I mean, sometimes they, they make the sample not to the specification. Then for the customer, they waste a lot of time. Yeah. And they have to do this back and forth several rounds and uh, just no good. And so we've talked about being a small fish in a big pond. What if you're a big fish in a small pond? What if you are the top uh, production house in that production in that factory? What issues would you get then? Well, we actually had this problem before. Mm -hmm. uh, it depends how big the factory is. If, they, if it is a small factory and you turn out to be the biggest customer, mm -hmm. you certainly will get the best service, uh, but does not necessarily mean you get the best price mm. um, because they will spend most of their effort on providing services to you, your company. They will not have luxury to find more customers. Uh, not leverage, you know, across the supply chain, uh, have more access to different suppliers, uh, higher volume, because usually uh, this type of customer is not the super big one. 
Yeah, because I guess you've got to bear in mind is these factories, if you have several big customers, then you can actually leverage different supply chains. As an example, if all of your customers use plastic, mm-hmm. you're placing overall a big plastic order to your injection mold facility or your metal supplier or your PCB or your component supplier. So you can, by leverage, what I mean is you can actually reduce the cost of several of your projects by kind of clumping them together and having this relationship with your sub-suppliers. So if you're the biggest and there's no one else who's similar to you, then you've only got your own volume to rely on. Yeah, but also sometimes uh, it creates a diff- very bizarre situation where oh, yeah? you are the biggest customer mm-hmm. and uh, they are the only manufacturing partner for you. Mm. Then they heavily rely on you so they will charge all the costs to you and you have no choice. Sometimes yeah. they, they just charge uh, unreasonable yeah. fees, uh, which you, you can't do anything about it. That's true, especially if you're growing and you have no backup supply chain. You know, at that point, that factory's done a lot to get you to production to that stage. Uh, so repeating all of that is yes, almost daunting. You also cannot afford losing this only manufacturing partner. Yes. All of this big volume causes big delays, which means loss of revenue. And to bite the bullet in that regard, and maybe... Yeah, that's exactly the situation. Mm. Yeah. You know they're not good, and uh, you have no choice until you find the, the next alternative. You have to stick around and bite the bullet. <laughs> yeah. And I think within this, we can, in all the products and projects we've done, we've seen, we've got so many good examples you know, mm. of situations where this has happened and experience, once you've experienced it and realized it's a thing that can happen, you become way more careful. You know, it's very different hearing someone talk about these problems compared to you personally experiencing it because it is your problem, you know? That's you right. have that issue. Yeah. You might not, you're trying to place orders, but you can't get the stock. Yeah, um, also it is a very painful process when you have to move out. Mm. Uh, all your tools, you know, uh, the basic knowledge you gained with that factory is gone. Yeah. Because you train them up, uh, and, uh, also, and you know what the common QC issues are, you know, like on your plastic injection mold, what speed yeah. and temperature settings you should be doing and where the mm-hmm. most weaknesses are. There's a lot of nuances that you solve early on in production so you don't get later in production that you won't appreciate until you go to a new factory and start again in that regards, even with the same tools. Yeah, that's right. And so we've talked a lot about, you know, the supply chain right now. What are your predictions moving forward? I have witnessed the change in late 1990s mm-hmm. where the mass manufacturing moved from Southeast Asia countries into China. Uh, and now we are witnessing another big movement oh, because yeah. of the superpower nation's uh, power struggle. Mm-hmm. The manufacturing is uh, moving out of China into Southeast Asia, India, oh, and yeah. maybe some other places. But this time is different. Mm-hmm. Because the size of the manufacturing today, uh, 
compared with 20 years ago is different. It's much so? bigger. Oh, I see. So today is much bigger than 20 years ago. Exactly. Mm. Uh, because of the consumer goods, you, you could tell the price uh, difference between uh, the different ages. Uh, what? Okay. In the 90s, one Walkman can cost you 1,000 RMB to purchase. And that's well, about 120 pounds? Yeah, some, something like that. Mm -hmm. But today, if you just want to buy an audio player, I know it doesn't exist, probably doesn't exist anymore mm. because you, you, everybody has their cell phone. Mm. But we do see some MP3 players so mm -hmm. being produced. Uh, it's going to cost you around perhaps, uh, 150 RMB. Which is about 15 pounds or yeah. 18 pounds, let's say. Yeah. So it's almost a tenth of the original price. It's just an example. Yeah. Um, my, my meaning is uh, the size of the manufacturing is is much much bigger mm -hmm. compared with the twenty years ago. Mm -hmm. So that capacity used to produce all these goods mm -hmm. is enormous. It's huge. So it can't be simply observed, I mean, absorbed by uh, India and uh, Southeast Asia, like Vietnam. Yes. And they are doing some, but not all of them. In the next couple of years, this is one of the biggest uh, issue for for Chinese manufacturing base. Uh, already, we started seeing we want to start dealing with the domestic market. Uh, hopefully, in the next couple of years, the uh, the domestic demand can grow up, so that manufacturing capacity can be utilized. But until then, you will see a big gap of uh, oversized manufacturing capacity versus the demand. And um, orders to factories in China has dropped this year, right? Yes, tremendously. By what percentage are you seeing? I would say differ from factory to factory, but in average it would be 30% to 40%. Yeah, which is a lot, you know, I guess in the past, Let's say this was 10 years ago, a typical drop might be what? Three, four, five percent? Well, you, we have never seen a drop in the last... Uh, oh, so it's never dropped, China. really? Yeah. So this is the first big one and it's 30 percent. There was a time, maybe a little bit drop uh, back in 2008, but that mm. was uh, due to the financial crisis. Uh, it didn't impact China that much, right? Quickly. Uh, we recovered, but this time it will be different because some of the manufacturing orders will be moved out of China permanently. Some opportunity here because a lot of the factories are now willing to work with you because they have the capacity, right? And they're looking for new ways and revenue streams. And some of the factories, they have to upgrade their own facilities, okay. their equipment, the manpower to uh, start making more advanced products and uh, some others might be just they just close the business and those businesses will be taken over by whoever is more competitive and they mon monopolize the market then you have a worse situation then 
when people say, oh, I don't have that much business, uh, what's the difference for having a small one? Okay, no, I see what you mean. Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking that maybe if it was a similar customer, or even half of the size, maybe they're willing to compromise on the price. Some of them will. Yeah. Yeah. But then, as I say, that is, you know, from their point of view, they want to put up the price because they need that extra revenue in, right? That's exactly happening uh, recently uh, with some of our suppliers. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't have much business. Mm -hmm. So they probably dismissed some of their workforce as well. Mm -hmm. uh, when we place the order, they will say, oh, sorry, the MOQ has to increase because I already don't have that many workers. If I want to start this uh, order, I will have to uh, hire more workers. Mm. Uh, but to hire more workers, to be more productive, I need more orders. So yeah. the MOQ actually increased. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds like a little vicious cycle, to be honest, in a way. Yeah, it is. Fewer workers, higher MOQ, but then to do the MOQ, you need more workers. We've seen this drop uh, in output and orders. Where do you think it's coming from? Mostly related to the geopolitical struggle. Mm -hmm. Since 2018, when when the trade war between the US and the China started, I think it's a bit earlier than that, mm -hmm. uh, you started seeing many foreign companies uh, have their plan to move out of China mm -hmm. because of the tariff. Uh, also, another reason is because of the Chinese economy wasn't performed you know, really well. The property market uh, causing really big burden for uh, ordinary people. They can't make enough money to afford uh, buying properties. Mm -hmm. So the, the labor cost has increased quite a lot manufacturing sector being squeezed from both ends. One is the labor cost increase, and second is the uh, loss of orders. Well, thank you, MH. I appreciate you joining us on today's show. To our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast episode. We've talked a lot about product design requirements, how they interlink with factories, and the geopolitical situation in China, um, and how 2023 has really been going within China. I hope you've really got a better appreciation of the background of our CTO and why Ardencraft is so experienced in making great quality products and especially his contribution to the original Sony Walkman. But overall, I hope you've learned you know, how we approach factory selection and an insight into how factories perceive projects, the importance of requirements and specifications, you know, how you could be making decisions on your product without even realizing it how volume plays a part with factories and suppliers, alongside how other companies' products within the same factory also affects your costs. You know, whether you're a low volume in a big factory or a big volume in a small factory. Alongside some of the challenges you face when getting backup suppliers and even moving suppliers. And what we really tried to focus in today's episode was the economics behind, you know, just not just China, but also global economics. We've had a very strange couple of years in terms of the supply chain 
And we've also given some of our predictions in 2024, reflecting back to how, you know, Southeast Asia evolved in the 1990s and how production is even moving out in China today and what some of the ramifications of that are. And lastly, we touched on China's current economic situation and how order quantity has dropped this year alongside those ramifications of such drops and how it really affects batteries, workers, land, and even how you organize the supply chain within all of this. I do hope you've enjoyed uh, today's episode. And if you have a hardware project and are interested in a discussion, you can always go onto our website, www.ardencraft.com and book a free consultation with me or find me on LinkedIn and we can organize a call about your projects. Thank you once again. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Bye.